McDonald's presents Burger Reviews by Hamburglar. Today's review, the hotter, juicier, classic burgers. Hamburglar, the time is yours. Bravo, bravo. He said, these are McDonald's best burgers ever. And then, can I keep them? And then he just grabbed them and ran away. Probable. Now get a Big Mac or Double Cheeseburger for two bucks in the app. Limited time only at participating McDonald's. Valid one time per day. Must opt into rewards. Visit McD app for details. Available at most restaurants in this area. Comparison of McDonald's classic burgers to prior burgers. Recorded live. Welcome, guys. Welcome, everybody, to uh, I think this is our seventh or eighth, maybe it's our eighth week of the Lyred Roundtable for our S1 Chicago group. Um, thank you, everybody, who's on the call with us. We have uh, Mark Alaric. Uh, is I pronouncing it right, Mark? No, Alaric. Alaric, yes, but I did get the I in there. That's a little fun joke for you, Sean. You um, yes, Mark Alaric is with us, and also David Miller, and uh, I'm your host, David Newby. Uh, we welcome you and thank you for your time. Uh, this week, we are going to be talking about the self-government principle of patience. And uh, just in case maybe someone gave you this link and you didn't connect to it from our um, Facebook page, you want to go to uh, lareb.org and click on the principles tab. And then uh, under the eighth to seventh, eighth week, under the, um, the you'll see patience. Just click on the two-page PDF, and that's a document that we're going to go through uh, now. Um, Mark, would you be so kind as to uh, open us in a quick prayer, brother? Yeah, uh, Lord, I think patience is, uh, for, especially for those of us who want to do a lot uh, in the world, uh, especially for you. Patience is uh, what we feel oftentimes is something that uh, makes, gives us a sense of urgency, and we patience uh, is something that... Um, we don't seem to have a whole lot of. Uh, when we blow it, it's usually because of lack of patience. And you work through process. You marinate, not microwave. And uh, we just really look forward to learning how to be more patient because you care about the things that we care about far more than we possibly could. We just yes, thank, you, Lord. thank you, Thank you, Father, for this time. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. Well, um, let me read the, the, our main verse, and then we're going to jump into the, uh, the good data here. Um, our, our verse for this week is Proverbs 25, 15, and it says, Be patient, and you will finally win, for a soft tongue can break hard bones. And um, that makes me think of Proverbs 15, 1, which says, A soft, uh, soft answer uh, turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So it's sort of a similar thing there about the soft tongue. Um, uh, David, if you'd be so kind, would you read that that opening uh, paragraph from from the first page? And uh, Mark, would you would you read the second one? Then we could go over those first couple of paragraphs. In this generation of instant food, instant information, and instant messaging, we must not forget the great value of patience. Patience mm-hmm. is not procrastination or delaying an obligation. It is waiting for the right time. In the appropriate moment, we will achieve better results and avoid many difficulties. Mm-hmm. Mark, will you go ahead and do that uh, second paragraph, brother? When we're angry, we need to wait until we cool off before we act. As the old proverb says, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. This means there's a time in which a 
person is more ready to accept and receive. If it's done prematurely, we may receive an argument or opposition. Quick responses from unprepared hearts only complicate the situation, and in the end, everybody loses. It takes time to develop people, and leadership is leading people and letting them see what they need to see, Mm -hmm. getting them to see what they need to see. It is teaching them how, when, and why you want to get them there. Patients will give all those involved peace and security. Yeah, I find this very uh, fascinating, This, these things of that second paragraph especially, um, because oftentimes in business, people want a quick result, and especially if you're helping a client, um, you feel a sense of obligation to do things with excellence, and at the same time, um, you know, like that second paragraph talks about the way to communicate with people, and uh, I find that, that that definitely takes balance to say, uh, if there's a misunderstanding with a client, um, you know, how, how do you clarify things and make sure you're clearly understanding what they want or what they think they're going to get? And, um, and, and, and that, you know, just reacting to something that they say or that they misunderstand. I had an incident uh, just three weeks ago where a client of mine uh, had wired us some funds. They had signed our agreement. You know, I, I told them verbally, everything that we were going to do, like in the next three weeks, we're going to do these four or five things. And then um, also it was in writing. It was in our written agreement. And two weeks later, I mean, literally four out of the five things, they totally thought they were getting something else. And I'm like, I I was very impatient in my flesh. I'm like, how in the world can I communicate this better to someone when I told them verbally and it's in their written agreement? Only I could think of was I need to make them start telling me repeating back to me, and I'll tell, now tell me what it is that you think you're getting so that I hear them vocalize it and I know that they understand what they're getting. Um, because uh, I was very tempted in my flesh to be uh, impatient there. Um, what things jump out at you guys from these first couple paragraphs? Uh, well, the, uh, the teacher uh, will appear when the student is ready. I think the teacher is always there. Mm-hmm. Um, right in front of us, because you know, as we make mistakes, uh, and oftentimes the same mistakes again and again, and we get to take the the, the training over again, again uh-huh. and again. So the teacher seems to be always, always there. We're just not necessarily watching for that uh, that teacher who is usually the quietest voice, you know, in our in our heads or in our hearts. Uh, and I, I'm I'm starting to uh, experience that. I'm getting these small voice kinds of teachings, uh, and I'm I just need to really be able to to stop and and hear it. And that's that's when we need to just stop and well, I'm trying to make some decisions right now. And my wife Darlene said, you know, you are so stressed out right now, and you're working so hard, 12-hour days. Is this really the time you want to be making major decisions? And that was an aha moment for me. I said, no, this is never the time I want to be making major decisions. So she said, okay, let this pass. And then when you have quiet time, a quiet space, uh, that's the time with the Lord to consider those things. That was a, that was a great teaching moment. May I ask you a clarifying question, brother? Would, were you, would you feel that, like sometimes, you know, there's good stress and bad stress. Um, I know sometimes we talked a couple weeks ago about sometimes we can even feel a sense of calm in the storm um, if we're focused on, you know, our, our father's provision versus the situation. I think you actually even brought up an example like that. 
Yeah. Uh, do you do you feel like just as sort of as a building on that talk we had a couple of weeks ago? Do you feel that that was um, that stress was just something that a lot of external things were creating, or maybe just you're feeling a stress like almost in your own spirit, so you wanted your own spirit to calm down? Well, I think I think the the hardest kind of stress to to uh, uh, to navigate, you know, is when you have a combination of both internal and external happening at the same time. You're already going through a stressful situation. It might be, let's say, a personal, let's say, health or family or something, you know, something personal related. Mm-hmm. And then some external stuff happens at the same time. Uh, and this is what we've been experiencing the past few months where it has been a combination. And uh, that is that's an experience the believer has to be really able to uh, um, see it coming, you know, even when you're experiencing. So like you said, so that, you know, the goal of being calm in the storm is true, but we have to be able to recognize that that's what's happening. And then now if a major decision has to be made, and it absolutely has to be made right away, you know, bring it to the Lord, whatever whatever you have to do. It's all hands to the pump. Whatever you have to do, that's understandable. But those aren't those aren't every decision. That that isn't an every decision. This doesn't happen all the time. There's always right. time. There's always time to say, I'm gonna need some time, some days. This isn't this isn't like buying a car where the guy says, You gotta do it now, brother, or you know, the deal's gone. And I look him in the eye and say, Well of course the deal's gonna be there later on. I can come back tomorrow and I'm gonna get the same no, don't give me that. You know, that's not that's not that's something totally different. Right, yeah, like the car might be gone, but there will be another car I can buy. I can still get a vehicle to get from point A. I can assure you that that uh, that probably that same vehicle is going to be be there. <laughs> well, the odds are good. Yeah, yeah. I, um, yeah. If there's a uh, 200 cars on the lot, then you know there's a very good chance that they're not all going to be sold. Well, that's an ex- so, that's an example of an external pressure allowing an external pressure to to force you to make a decision that you feel like I I can't. You know, this is it. I've got so because a person wants to get that car wants to get get the decision over with because there's a number of other pressures happening at the same time in that person's life, let's say. I'm I'm pressured to do this because, you know, I've got other other problems. And but sometimes and, there's just real deadlines like for enrollment and there are and there are. Yeah, sure there are. But it's not not every time. It's not every time. You know, we gotta realize it's it's a it's a small percentage of the time where you have to do that. Part of why I asked you that, Mark, is because I think as, an, as we were just talking about marketing before we started recording the call, I feel that it's wise as a marketer to, if you really believe in what you have to offer and you know it will add value to someone, uh, give someone the, the pros and cons, or even give them a damaging admission, and then tell them, you know, if this is a fit for you, if you have need A, B, or C, then you should get this. And, and I think it's wise to use uh, deadlines in marketing, but at the same time not create a uh, false kind of scarcity where you rush someone to make a decision or, in essence, an impatient decision. Um, you know, so that's why I was clarifying that because I've, uh, I've been more and more seeking out people who operate at a higher level to, you know, joint venture with or just to uh, counsel with or, or even uh, maybe have them be a mentor to me or, or a referral partner. And, um, 
it's just interesting that you know that some people say you know the higher the levels, the higher the devils. So if you are um, running a five hundred thousand dollar a year company, and all of a sudden you start running a fifty million dollar a year company uh, or a five hundred million dollar a year company, I'm sure you know to the to the scale of ten times or a hundred times, there's that that more many things you have to deal with and that much more pressure. So like you said, ideally you want to be calm and you don't want to feel rushed and sometimes we just are. So to me, I think the key is um, create a space in your schedule to go to the Lord, even if it's in the middle of a crazy day, like leave an hour of time that something is not scheduled so that if you have to make an important decision, you can go to the Lord and say, Lord, uh, I need to make a decision on this. I really need your, your counseling or guidance. And you know, maybe he's going to speak to you in that, that small voice like you mentioned. Um, because, yeah, we, we don't want to make impatient decisions. That's where we make a lot of bad decisions. Um, so I'm excited to – I want to – I'd love to build a, you know, $100 million a year company, and I know I have to deal with a lot of more major important decisions. So I guess for me, I aim to have peace in the midst of no matter how stressful the situation might be. Um, versus wait for the stress to, to pass. And in no way am I trying to negate or go against your wife's counsel. Um, I just think that, that uh, there's definitely a way for us as believers in the marketplace um, to find that and, and, um, and still make a patient decision. And even if you feel time pressure, we can tell someone, look, you've got to give me at least till the end of the day or, or 24 hours. And that gives us time to pray and ask our advisors for counsel and then make the decision. Sure. Yeah, I know that's sort of a balance because like that first paragraph that says, you know, patience is not procrastination or delaying an obligation. It's waiting for the right time. You know, sometimes a customer might be like, hey, I paid for this. I want it right now. And it's like, um, you know, sometimes you need to analyze the situation, decide what's the best course of action or the best way to serve that customer. Um, because if we let them pressure us, sometimes we can, we can um, do a worse job for them than if we were more... Um, What's the word? Uh, if we weren't rushed in our decision-making, put it that way. If we were more intentional in our decision-making about how to serve them. David, does anything uh, jump out at you uh, or with, from this uh, first couple of paragraphs you read, brother? I guess one thing that kind of jumped out at me was just about my, my second paragraph, that leadership is, is leading people. And that you know, One of my biggest challenges is, is patience with people. And, you know, when you're leading and working with people, you know, take time to, to teach. I had a mentor, and you know, they, they asked a lot of questions, and I learned to really value that because well, I wasn't as quick to change as what I needed to be, but their patience to ask the question let me chew through it. Um, I really respect that aspect, you know, and when we're leading with people, working with people, they ask those questions, and, you know, like I said earlier, it's also in marketing, you know, here's the, the key things that this, this fits, and and move, move forward with it, you know, that, that patience to people to give them those questions I think is, is real powerful and help them, help them to see um, where you can lead them. Right, right. Sometimes they feel like you're trying to make them do something they don't want to do or do it in a way that they don't want to do it. I had that today with one of my workers. I gave them a task to do and told them, I, I did a, in my calendar, I do like just sort of, I write in shorthand. I was like, hey, update this client about this and update that client about that. And it basically like copy pasted what I wrote and like wrote it and texted it to the clients. And I'm like, I don't want you texting them my shorthand. Like you need to write in complete sentences to our clients. I didn't realize <laughs> I had to special spell that out, but I, I did. So that yeah. was an incident where I, I could have chewed them out and go, what in the world are you doing? Like, you know, don't, you know, like, but I just, 
took a couple breaths and then clarified to them, like, you need to write in complete sentences to them um, and just sort of be patient and remind them of that. Because it is sort of fascinating that the very first quality of love in First Corinthians 13 is, is patience. You know, love is patient. Um, that's probably the biggest way I struggle with it as well is uh, with other people when I feel like they um, let me down or, or, um, or I feel like I clearly communicated what I need them to do whether a client or a worker on my team, and um, they didn't do it. It's like I need to grow as a, as the leader and say, okay, I need to do a better job of leading, sharing the vision so that we're on the same page. You know, like sort of take that on myself versus blowing up at them. Um, let's go into the next couple of paragraphs here. I'll, I'll, I'll read the third paragraph here. And uh, Mark, if you could do the, uh, the fourth paragraph, that would be great. Um, at the bottom of page one, for those of you listening in, even though we are constantly pushed for higher levels of production, we must take the time to nurture people, not treat them as if they were machines. There are problems that cannot be solved right away, and we must allow time for change. Change is a process that requires patience, or we may add to the problem. It is important to sense the mood of an employee or team before we give correction or a change in direction. Patience is an art. We are not patient, we can become arrogant and oppressive, and we will not stimulate or motivate people. This can be expensive, and we will pay the price for our lack of patience. All we may receive back is opposition. Patience is being able to discern the right time to act. This is a true gift of the wise. Never let a problem hold you hostage. Always deal with it. Uh, you know, it's interesting that a uh, uh, manifestation or, or a benefit of, of patience if you're patient with people and you spend the time with them, uh, you, you actually are, are empowering them. Because when they uh -huh. learn, learn how your mind works and how you think, then they can improve. And you know, plus you're giving them the tools to be able to make better decisions. But the more you know them, the better, the more, or the, the better you'll be able to trust them because they're not just, uh, just feeding back to you in shorthand but in full sentences and understanding. And that's the goal, that they understand. Uh, they truly understand deeply what you're saying and become proactive. Uh, and so you're empowering them to be good decision makers. And so you don't have to be micromanaging. And impatient people, they have a tendency, we all do, to micromanage. And that doesn't help anybody. It makes, it makes everyone uh, really become much less, much less effective. Well, yeah, they started second-guessing themselves, wondering, like, like, being afraid of making a mistake because they don't want you to blow yeah. up on them. Exactly. And I don't have, want them to be they have afraid to have that freedom. Yeah, they have to have, have to have that freedom to make mistakes and, and not feel like they're going to get blamed or hammered uh, if they do. And that is a trait of a really lousy boss who may be very good at what he or she does and very productive, but there will never be another one like him like that individual that, that is that uh, high, high performing. That's the problem. That is the problem with every big leader, a great leader of any, any organization. This is why a Vince Lombardi, he never duplicated himself. Everybody was pushed to the extreme, but nobody ever became like him and continued the team. The team was a complete loser for decades after he was gone. No, I mean, Bart Starr, all the other football players that were, that were worked underneath them, ter all of them were terrible coaches. 
Why, why was that? I'm not asking for an answer. I'm just I'm just making a statement. <laughs> right. Yeah, on one hand, it's like we realize we're all uniquely gifted and we all have uh, different talents and different purposes the Lord put us here for. So, yeah, it's like I, I do aspire to be like Richard Branson in the sense that he started so many different businesses, but he's really good at getting the right teams of people in place and sharing the vision, as you were just saying, Mark, yeah. uh, so that the people go out and carry out the vision and he doesn't have to micromanage them. And, and um, I think I'm glad you said that because maybe I need to do send, schedule a more regular time about going over the vision of here's our big vision, you know, here's our, what's our, here's our plan for the next three, four months, and here's our plan for this month, and here's what we need to do this week, and then give them those broad strokes and then say, okay, we need to do task A, B, C, and D this week to, to work towards that goal and just give them the highlights and let them, them go and, and, uh, and get the work done because um, I, I find that sometimes you have to give them some details like, hey, like if you've never done this before, this is the, here's the, here's the way I do it. If you can find a more efficient way to do it, let me know. Because um, I have found sometimes the staff will just do something in a way that's very inefficient. So yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I micromanage down to about that level. I like to record stuff in video, let them see me doing it, and then let them go do it. And if they can find a faster way, you know, awesome. I want to I want to hear it. The best the best thing um, is 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 you, is uh, uh, shadowing or teaming with somebody. You know, do, doing things. You, know, you follow somebody. You work with somebody. You see how they work, and it's it's not really. You know, here's the book to read, or here's the video to watch. But you're actually working shoulder to shoulder with somebody is really the best. I think it's, you know, what's the real goal here? Do you want a company of giants, then, and of big people? Then they all have to be empowered to be big people. Otherwise, you'll have a company of of, uh, of little people. You know, one big person, and everyone else is little. Um, yeah, I want. I don't. You guys have found. I um. It seems that. The one thing that jumped out at me from these two paragraphs the most was um, it's important to sense the mood of an employee or team before you give correction or a change in direction. Entrepreneurial people come up with new ideas all the time, and it's sort of like you know a lot of entrepreneurs is almost like a joke, like 99% are ADD or something. And so um, I purposely look for people who are really good at just following instructions and getting and handling details and getting busy work done because that's my weakness. Um, at the same time, it's like I almost want to empower, if I'm going to replace myself, I need to find someone who maybe they want to work for someone else, but they still want to build something. And I think most people want to do something great, even if they don't want to start their own company. They want to be a part of something great. I don't know. I, I, really, have to start I really don't. Out, yeah, I really, How do you replicate yourself and, and not mess up or throw your detail-oriented staff off kilter by saying, hey, I know this is your normal thing, and maybe it's going to be like an hour or two in their schedule so that um, just for stuff that just comes up, because as an entrepreneur, you're going to create stuff that comes up, and, and they could easily get impatient with you if you don't communicate to them, hey, look, here's what it's like being an entrepreneur. We're going to come up with stuff. We're going to tell you, hey, we need to work on it. Um, well, you're going to be dealing with different kinds of people, of course. There are those that are visionaries, those who are not. Those never want to be visionaries. You know, they don't want to really raise in the ranks. They want something that is a certain kind of job where they can, where they can have job satisfaction on it, to be sure. Uh, but they are not going to want to 
grow that much more into it, but they will want to be empowered to do their do the best job. Like I said, and have jobs. Everyone wants job satisfaction. Everybody wants that, but not everybody is going to be can can be um, molded into something that they really don't want to be um, right. unless there's good reason. So you have different kinds of people you're working with, of course. While we're here to talk about, reminds me of the book I'm reading about called Multipliers. Is it how to how to lead people and inspire them to make them feel smarter? You know, you may be telling your telling it yourself, mm-hmm. but how to bring their intelligence and inspire them to to be led. And there's a lot of patience involved in that. You know, to see people develop and, and grow into what to all they can be their full potential. Yeah, David, what what's the name of that book? It's called Multipliers. Multipliers. So Liz, Liz Weissman. Yes. And it, but it really helped, really helped for me because, you know, in developing my leadership style, and I realized a lot of things that I've kind of had, you know, more of that just bulldog type attitude. And, you know, I, I have all the answers and you just kind of follow me. Yeah. So being able to bring other people up and inspire them, you know, cast a vision in front of them and let them take it and go further than what you could have ever taken it is a, is a powerful gift. Yeah, that's 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 very good. Actually, I read uh, I read the outline of, from that book, and it is it is uh, what I read from the outline. It's a very good book, and I I studied that because I was studying at the time systems thinking, uh, and I still am. <clears throat> but uh, that plays right into it very very well. How you are you know you definitely want to be empowering your staff because it's very self serving when you really think about it to empower your staff uh, to do all do do your work so that you can do go on and do even greater things. Right. Yep. Yeah, it's um I think that um part of my challenges looking back with my staff about being impatient was suspending from the uh, imagination that it's normal for there to be conflict and expecting someone to do my level of work when they're not you. It's like if no one's gonna do things the way you do, so I found adjusting my expectation to allow my staff to do things the way that um, they want to do it as long as they get their result done. Um, that really helped me be a lot at peace. Like if someone can do the work that you do 80% as well as you and you can get 10 of those people, well, now you're getting 800% of your output done. You know, and just thinking about it in terms of the math of it, that really uh, helps me be at peace and not be impatient with the fact that, hey, they're doing it 20% lower quality than I would do. Um, so that, that's an area that I've grown in in patience, you know, just thinking about the benefit of it. Like you just said, Mark, is very self-serving. Um, so speaking of that, let's, let's go ahead and run through the benefits since you were just talking about, you know, some of the benefits, Mark. Um, uh, I'll go ahead and read these off. There's six benefits. Uh, my practicing patience brings these benefits. Uh, we'll learn to wait until we know that we have the right attitude because it is very important that we find a solution, not just deal with this problem. We will um, be emotionally prepared before we give correction or directional changes, we will learn that practicing patience gives us the ability to identify the right time to act or sort out situations. Number four, we will learn to distinguish whether we need to act or to wait. Number five, we will develop self-control. And number six, we will create security and peace to those around us. And yeah, the sense of peace, I think, is very empowering to the team as well. Um, My, my very first assistant was like my best assistant ever, and I micromanaged her to death. And it's sort of funny because that was like seven years ago. 
I found her on Craigslist. She actually like, just had her resume on the resume section of uh, Craigslist Philippines. Now there's like a thousand people there, but this was back like when Filipinos were first starting to use Craigslist. And um, it was like, she was just a super talented lady. She used to work on the Philippine Stock Exchange. She had her own virtual assistant company, and she wasn't marketing as that, but I mean, she had like eight workers working under her. And she was really good at delegating her work to the people that worked for her and just being the point communication person for me. And um, I've actually been talking to her recently, but it's like I'd like to perhaps work with her again, but I, I totally know that the biggest mistake I made was I did not create an environment of peace because I was micromanaging her so much. Um, I don't know. I guess I just I feel I feel the need to confess my sins to you guys in that, and maybe it's instructive for someone listening if they're not with us live. Okay. But that was the biggest thing. It wasn't it wasn't peaceful for her. It was always like me going off about this thing or that thing. You know, I'm in a work environment where it seemed like the leader was always was not patient, was always, you know, going these quick rabbit trails and sending them on this little task and you don't want to get that task half done and then they had another task, you know, running on this trail. And yeah, it didn't didn't create for peace. But I can see how that you know, when you have patience to be able to take things one at a time, it does create a peaceful environment for yourself and for everyone else. Sorry, David, what do you do for a living? Um, I'm a maintenance supervisor. Mm-hmm. Uh, building maintenance. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So you're dealing with lots of people, lots of issues, people, places, yep. and things, and, and an environment that constantly changes. Yeah. Uh, and it has yep. instructions and environments, and it's it's quite a comp- complex system. Actually, you're working with. I my handling multiple um, task skills. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great it's a great proving ground to build lots of patience. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. I'm gonna I'm gonna have a hard stop at uh, eight eight o'clock. Uh, so I'm sorry if we can kind of keep moving moving along a little bit. I mean, don't do it for me. I mean, just uh, just just go what pace you want to. Yeah, please go the pace you want to, and and uh, I, I do have to uh, hang up at about eight o'clock. Oh, no problem, brother. Actually, yeah, looking at the steps to follow, I think there's a lot of golden nuggets in these steps to follow. So, um, um, Mark, why don't you read those off? And, and Dave, if you could, read those uh, that last long paragraph there, and then we can sort of discuss the, the second page here uh, about the steps to follow and the closing part. Okay, control your emotions by talking softly at the most critical times. Uh, maybe not talking at all might help, too. Recognize that in order to solve a problem, we need to be cautious or it may create a greater problem. Listen to make sure that you are understood, uh, and I think ask questions too, do a little Q&A, and determine how to solve the problem as if it were your own. Hold your peace and calm the fears of others involved by giving good counsel. Uh, sometimes you don't know what to say, but there comes listening in. That's, that, that's very handy too. Learn that there is an appropriate moment to deal with every problem. It is not good to always attack problems immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, let problems season and mature. If you deal with the problems prematurely, you'll waste your energy and the energy of other people. Problems attack prematurely get worse. Learn to discern the right moment. Let patience prepare your heart. This will allow you to work out problems the best way, especially those that have irritated you and made you angry. If you have doubts, wait for the moment. Uh, 
if you react by impulse, you harm and hurt others. Sometimes just waiting a few seconds could make a great difference, allowing you to think and make better decisions. Everyone should have the right to express their views, but we need to wait until the end to be able to see all the angles and decide what is right. It takes time to develop people. We have to learn when to push and when to pull. In a family setting, it is even more critical because it affects our day-to-day life. Patients will prepare your own heart as well as those with whom we are dealing. The next time we are hasty or pushy, stop and practice a little patience. We'll be wiser and more appreciated. Yes, that um, that number five step really jumps out at me. It seems so counterintuitive. Um, like you were saying, Mark, with two and three, you know, sometimes it's better just to listen and, and um, that, then you can give them a good counsel. But the uh, let problems season and mature, that seems very, very counterintuitive, especially in our microwave instant messaging environment that we live in. Um, you know, oftentimes I'll get a client saying, this just happened, and it'll be like, okay, and they're like, you know, I want to do something about it. And I'm like, don't do anything yet. Let me look into it and find out what happened, especially like if we're, you know, helping them make strategic orders for their company to build their company's credit rating as an example. It's like we need to do a little research and look at their file before we can counsel them about how to best take the next step. And yeah. sometimes yeah. They'll, they'll get a call from Dun and Bradstreet or something, and they'll freak out, and I'm like, don't freak out. Like, just be calm. Let us look into this, and in the, in the next day or two, uh, we'll know how to move forward. Um, but that, that does seem very – it does feel very counterintuitive. You know, there's a, there's a path to wisdom uh, that uh, I think you're going to find this in Scripture, but there's a path to wisdom uh, that I learned through, through systems thinking, uh, through this Dr. Russell Acoff, and he's got some really good YouTube videos. I don't think he was a believer. Um, but the path to wisdom, according to him, is that you start with data, and then from data you get information, information, knowledge, knowledge, understanding, and then from understanding, uh, wisdom. And, and not to go into what all that means right now, but so many, so many people will just take raw data and say, I know how to make a decision, where information is just simply like a newspaper article, who, what, where, how, when, and why. And knowledge just says, okay, I've seen this before, I understand this, I understand what's going on here, but making, it, making a wise decision means you're going to predict an outcome. And how can you predict an outcome based on less raw data? You know, and, and that's where we see a lot of decisions at that stage. It's just raw data in front of us. How do you make a decision based on that? Because you don't know how this, in, this data is relating to other data. Um, yeah, we need the right knowledge base or collection of knowledge bases to determine how to use it. Because a lot of times we'll just apply our own worldview and experience um, to that data, we might come up with the very wrong. Right, uh, you may have one track of data. You may you may have one one set of data. David has another set of data, and I've got another set of data. And it all seems based on what we see in the data. This is the decision to make. But when you put it together, you get different perspectives. You get a richer picture. You go, oh wow! If we make this yeah. decision based on what I thought yeah. was the right decision, my goodness, we would have been out of business in you know three months because I didn't know that there's this big problem with this manufacturer 
they're about to go under or something, whatever that thing is, somebody had the kind of information that we really needed. And that's why when you're working with people, you get their perspectives, you, you uh, invite their perspectives in on, on the problem. So you get to see a problem from many different angles. And that's where we want to get to. Well, let's see the problem from every different angle, because if it's only from the angle of the top person down, uh, it's going to be very, uh, 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 it won't be neutral, it'll probably be politically charged, actually. Right, right. Hey, guys, I wanted to ask your um, opinion on something or see if maybe I'm applying the right kind of uh, knowledge base to what I think my needs are based upon what you just said, Mark. I um, am building a board of advisors for my International Billionaire Club. I have um, two people who already agreed to be on it. One guy um, is really good at marketing. He helps a lot of people with $40, $50 million businesses um, really maximize their conversion funnels. And um, he has direct mail experience. He mostly does online stuff now. A second guy helps a company grow from like $3 million up to $72 million in sales. And he's a really great sales trainer. He helped that company do that like in three years. And our target is to um, grow to between a $50 and $100 million company in the next three to five years. So he's done that um, with, with clients before. Um, and then I have two other people I'm inviting I was thinking about what does the what kind of knowledge would I need to be able to draw from on, on advisors I'm going to regularly consult with. Um, one guy is like a really good CPA and just super analytical and great with the numbers. And so um, I really want that, that guy to be on the board because um, that's just not my strength. I, I'm good at, you know, what are the expenses and things, but he can, he can drill down much deeper with, with planning and projections um, in terms of margins and sales and the value, maximizing the value of the business and all of those things. And then the fourth guy I was thinking is like, I'd like to either have maybe like a Lance Wallnow or Oz Hillman or, um, you know, someone like that or a Craig Hill, uh, a, a person who really knows the word really well and they have very big vision for business. Um, because I just think guys like that that are older that say are in their 50s that have been walking with the Lord longer. You know, I'm 40 now. Like if a guy's been walking with the Lord 15 years or 20 years longer than I have, um, I, I just I just know I can benefit from that life experience and wisdom. So, I mean, um, that's sort of how I I think I'm really good at the vision and the marketing side of stuff. You know, operations and and that kind of minutia and the experience I think is what I, I really don't have. I mean, that's sort of how I decided who to approach and invite to my board. I mean, do you think that's the right kind of or a wise way to do that, Mark, or, or David, or would you add something to that, to my, you know, my filter for who to invite for these next, you know, these last two or three spots? you have anything, David? Uh, I've mean, got a pretty good, you know, broad coverage there. Um, I'd, I'd have to tell you, I couldn't possibly know. I'm not sure how you described it. There's, I, I couldn't know. Because um, I don't okay. know, I, I don't know, uh, you know, that much about the service. I saw your two pager, I read that, um, but well, it's more just like, what does the venture need, and what do I have, and what's missing, and filling in the ingredients. I sort of approached it that way. I mean, it's a crapshoot. I mean, you're, I mean, you say, well, I need a, I need a money guy. I need a, a mentor kind of guy. I need, uh, you know, you like, like you're compiling the village people here, <laughs> in a way. Uh, so I don't. I mean, I, I'm not being facetious either. I, I, I'm being serious. I, I couldn't. I, I wouldn't know. I, I couldn't. Not not until you are in business, really. And I guess I guess to me, it's almost the cart before the horse. That 
um, when the, all the preparation is completed and the model is up and running, it's actually working, then that's when I would start looking at what are my missing elements here? Because then the marketplace kind of told you what was where the deficits were, where the improvements are going to need to be. But well, part of why I came to that too, Mark, like in terms of the patients thing is I'm ready to go and I am actually, you know, doing direct mail to about 300 of my own client base. And um, I've raised about, by God's grace, about $290,000 for a venture about four years ago uh, out of my client base, just approaching them with a three-step direct mail campaign and driving them to my website, et cetera, et cetera. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So I, I want to about triple that this time. And I am adding new people, like much higher level people already have five, ten million, fifty million dollar businesses. Uh, this time, along with my existing client base, but I watched a movie called Something Ventured, and I don't want to be impatient. I don't want to jump the gun. You know, like I, I want to in the next month finish out my board of advisors and have my mark my mail. It, it's not up. a speed issue. It's not a speed issue, uh, David, at all. It's not a speed issue. It's a it's a feedback issue that when the model is up and running, been put together as much as you possibly can, whatever that model is, it's up and running. I mean, it's it's to a point where it can be running even if it's not perfect. It's up and running, and as it's running and it's in the marketplace, then how it behaves, and that kind of feed, that's the kind of feedback that I think you need. And that will tell you, here's what's missing, or here's how to make improvements. But you can't get it perfect and then get it in the marketplace and think it's... Well, I don't expect to get it perfect. I'm just modeling what a lot of um, large companies have done. Like, I watched this movie called Something Ventured. By the way, it's on Netflix, and it's a great documentary to watch. Okay. That's what a lot of um, tech companies... But, like, Apple, when they got started, they went to the Atari guy. He could have put in three, 200 grand and got half of Apple, but he didn't do it. Um, eventually, like, four guys that were VCs came on board, uh, or three of them did, and these guys, you know, they all put in whatever, 100 to 200, 300 thousand each, and they were on the board. So, um, they, you know, one guy was really awesome and had all this knowledge in te- technology development. Another guy had all this knowledge and experience in di- distribution. So, I was just modeling that. I mean, Apple basically they had built a couple, like 50 motherboards, and showed them in the homebrew, and that was about it. And then they started bringing on investors. Yeah, but you, made, you made an interesting point. I think I've seen that. You made an interesting point, and it reminds me of other interesting points. Uh, how how uh, other folks, uh, other other uh, entrepreneurs, they thought they had the right people, like partners, and mm-hmm. and their resume was great, their contacts were great, everything was perfect, but they were still the wrong partner. And to your point, somebody could have had you know thirty uh, percent or whatever of Apple or ten percent of Apple, but there was the wrong partner. You know, it was, it was best for best for at least Apple that he didn't do it, not for himself. Um, so there, you, you don't know. I guess, I guess, point I'm making is that I try not to get any partners, uh, people who are vested, have part ownership, before the business is really uh, up and running. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 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 me. It's not necessarily the right thing to do, uh, but it's I think one of the hardest things to do. I have had partners. My son has a $8 million a year uh, clothing company now, and he mm-hmm. had a partner. He had to pay through the nose to get rid of this partner. But the it was a wrong partner, yeah. It was a wrong partner, and uh, fortunately the company was very, very small, and my son had to somehow dish out 10 or 20 grand. He didn't have at the time when it was really small to buy him off. Now it's worth, you know, whatever it is, an $8 million in sales company. 
And I've worked with people that I've invited to become a partner only to find out what a big mistake. And they didn't want it anyway, so that was I was saved from that, thank, thank the Lord. But I have seen this again and again and again where the wrong partners early on are it's it is hell uh it is not designed uh even if even if they're all believers it can still uh just just the uh the synergies and the and and the cross purposes and and the maturity level of the christians among them too you know where you're at and all that boy if there's some you really way, need you really need filters to weed out the people who are in a you good You won't fit. know, like, but you won't know until you're you're in the game, you know, until this money starts coming in and that changes people and that gets a guarantee. Um, but you won't know until it's up and running and you're in the environment that the model is working, the people are working in the, in the model, and then you see how they're going to be uh, behaving, uh, you know, good times and bad and all that. And uh, I, that's, I guess, again, this is me. Uh, so that's okay. That's that's great counsel, Mark. I actually do believe too. You should test out a, a concept small and make sure that it'll work. But and people then look too. To scale it and bring people that, on. That goes but, for um, people, especially people. You, you gave very good counsel, Brian Tracy. Actually, I watched a video of his. Actually, about all these different ways you could fund a business. Really uh-huh. good video on YouTube as well. And um, he said, if you do bring on partners, just in case they don't work out, you always leave a provision in there to be able to buy them out. Um, with the next amount of time, and obviously if you're generating good profits and the business is growing, you make sure that you set up a price that you feel is, is fair that you can buy them out by within a certain time period. That way you I don't say, get stuck I with mean, a bad partner. I know, I know you have to you have to get investors and people want ownership and all that. But my my feeling is give money, give perks, give position, don't give ownership. Uh, unless you are really, really, really sure, and that that needs, you know, the proof of time will always te- always uh, 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 be your safety valve. Actually, on that, so we're preaching to the choir on that, Mark. I actually like tell people, I, you know, once you've proven the concept, and like we're already doing coaching, we've been doing that for multiple years for clients of ours. Um, once you've proven that you can sell something and consistently deliver it successfully and so the clients are happy, um, then scale it up. But I always tell people, like, if you have a model like that, you know your margins. Um, you know, as long as you're a wise steward, debt-based financing is better than equity-based. Because of that, you could lose control of the company. If you give up chunks of uh, equity here and there, they can, you know, kick you out, which is what happened to Steve Jobs. So, well, uh, with especially, Apple. Yeah, yeah, especially especially if you get into a, a situation of desperation mm-hmm. uh, where the company is struggling and, and then somebody says, I'll put in more money and you're so you're so desperate to keep it going, keep the baby going, keep the vision going, that uh, give away more and more chunks and it's just, you, you know, the handwriting's on the wall at that point. But if there's any way to do it with... with uh, I'd rather take a bank loan. Uh, I'd rather not take anything. I'd rather just see how can I get this thing, how can I test this thing, start this thing rolling right, under, 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 under my own steam, under my own money, under my own work, and and maybe I maybe I hire people to do projects. You can hire, It's a dime, I don't want to say a dime a dozen, but you know, I almost want to. All those functions on the board you talked about, David, that you can all mm-hmm. hire that. You know, on a, on a, even you can, you could even hire Lance to come in uh, on a project basis. I'm sure he may, may or may not do it, but someone like him, you pay him the money. It might be a lot of money. They come in, do the work, they leave. 
They don't own anything, but you get a high, high level of quality, uh, competent work. Same is true with the financial. That could be hired. I mean, there's a lot of people out there that'll do it on a project basis. You can hire your board on a project basis, if, if you will. Say, come in, give them money, you know, and it's maybe double what you'd have to pay. But, you know, you're not making a com- commitment to them. Right, you're uh, you're keeping you're keeping the uh, you're keeping, keeping your options open, if you will, and it's almost a good maybe it's a good way a patient way to build something out, like find people and hire them on a project basis. Oh, and then yeah. if you work really well, you can maybe create a longer term relationship. But it, it's not don't a, jump it's into a, the long term first. Yeah, it's yeah. not a no brainer. It's a big brainer. It's it's a big brainer. I mean. I, <laughs> weird way of saying it, but I mean, it's really, really working smart. So if I can own a hundred percent and just pay the money out to come in, come in for a few hours, a half a day, do this, do that. All that stuff you talked about, you can, you can, you can buy that out. Right. I think that's a great way of, I appreciate that practical input because I mean, that's, um, we definitely need wisdom and, and patience and factoring in those things because, you know, we could easily go, oh, I need a hundred grand to do this thing. And and by the way, I have worked on this project like six years. So uh, one part of my flesh is like wants to get it going yesterday. And I'd be like, hey, the Lord's timing is the Lord's timing. He's going to provide. I'm going to seek wisdom and, and launch this when all the resources are in place. So Absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, they, they seem to be falling into place now. So, yeah. well, Mark, I know we're right at 8 o'clock. So I'm going to be uh, in time integrity with you. Um, we'll probably just wrap up here in the, in the next four or five minutes. Dave, if you don't mind, we'll just finish. We can close on yeah. the prayer. Thanks, um, guys. Thank you for your participation, Mark, and okay. your great input as always. Okay. Bye. Thank you. All right, brother. I'll talk to you soon. God bless. Yeah, Dave. I um, I think on the patients' front, the um, there's definitely a balance there. You know, part of what I, I would have shared with Mark, we had to go. I wanted to respect his time. Is, um, you know, wisdom is found in a multitude of counselors, and I think, uh at least in my own experience in the past, I have gone and got a, done a lot of market research and got a lot of information and then got counsel from people and then launched something and I stopped getting regular counsel. And um, I think that's where I'm shifting my model is I want to be getting on an ongoing basis uh, input from others, people that have great business experience on an ongoing basis. So, uh, I agree with what Mark said. You know, I don't believe in giving up equity that's a la- uh, quickly or, or, or nonchalantly. That's the last thing you should do. Um, in my case, I just feel like perhaps the Lord has been steering me towards uh, bringing on more advisors because, um, like it says in the Proverbs, you know, for raging war you need counsel, and that's how you have victory. Is um, and I, for my case, I just think I need regular, ongoing counsel. It's almost like part of the process of not doing something and making myself be more patient. And if I want to do whatever, say three months from now, I'm ready to launch my book for this venture and do publicity for it. Before I do that prematurely, get the counsel of the advisors and, and um, get their input on the system, you know, the marketing plan, if you will, or the publicity plan. And um, even if I have to wait before I move forward and get all of their input, um, I think that just is what I need because in my flesh it's very it's very easy for me to be impatient and and um, be hasty and miss the way you know as as the word also says don't be hasty and miss the way. Um, you know, so that's part of my thought process of how to apply patience um, to some of the processes of what I'm working on now. Um, 
do you have any final uh, thoughts, brother, or, or uh, the things that I know we covered like six different things about the steps to follow and the conclusion there. Um, what are your closing thoughts, brother, on applications of, of patience, whether it's interacting with people or, or another element of it? Um, I think that interacting with people is, is key in, you know, being developed relationships. And also, I think the balance between perfection and patience, that um, the two also seem like, seem like odds. But if we let, I think we let patients lead the way, um, we'll have a more perfect result in the end. And then it's kind of hard for us to give up on the front end to be, you know, and have not have anything perfect, but just be patient for all the right pieces to come in place and push them into place. And then have a great result in the end. Yeah, I agree. The, the patience makes a huge difference in the results. Um, just in closing, you know, looking at one and two, the steps to follow, talking softly at critical times. Um, I notice whenever I really want to raise my voice or I notice my tone rising or the volume of my voice rising, um, a lot of times I just find taking uh, literally even just two or three deep breaths and saying, okay, remind yourself in your mind, you know, love is patient. Just that simple thing can make a huge difference in um, your interaction with, with someone at a moment when you're very emotional or you're very tempted to say something hurtful um, or express that anger in that moment of impatience. And then the second thing says, listen, it makes you understand. I think Whenever you want to go off on someone, just maybe take a few deep breaths and say, hey, um, what happened here? It looks like you did this this way. Uh, why did you decide to do it that way? And just sort of get more information from them and then give them input or correction. I think that can make just the world of difference because if you just go off, you might destroy a great relationship because um, they just think of you as a hothead and they don't want to deal with you anymore. Um, or in a work environment, if, if they're just a peer of yours and they're not your subordinate, they might just, like, stop talking to you, which happens in workplaces all the time. So um, I think those two really go together. You know, calmly yeah. ask them a question and listen, and then and then respond with feedback. Yes, I love that. Take a few seconds to take, take a deep breath. That saved me quite a few times. <laughs> uh-huh. I know I think about that in my marriage. I mean, that, that applies to every inter, every single relationship in the yes, world, not just, not not just your marriage or kids or something. Yep, very true. But I think too, sometimes we we honor those boundaries more in business environments, um, and some at least in my experience, sometimes it's easier to go off on my wife or my kids because. Um, it's almost like I let my hair down or something in the home environment. Some people are very out of control in public and very in control in the home, and some people are the opposite. Um, so whichever way you feel you have more self-control in, whichever environment you feel you have more self-control in, just look to model that and um, apply that to every other environment you're in. So in my case, I, I, it's easier for me to, you know, let raise my voice at my kids if I had a stressful day, um, do it in the home. Maybe for other people it's different. Yeah, I need to treat my, my kids just as I treat, um, you know, some billionaire guy I want to have in my club. That, that That's the way to think of it. Good perspective. But I heard one person say, wherever your favorite person is in the world, like if you had an appointment with them, you just would not miss that appointment. They're like, think about your quiet time that way. You know, like just 
giving others that level of honor you would give someone that you consider very, very important. Um, I think it's a great way to be patient and keep our emotions in check. So. Well, here, Dave, it's in closing. I'll click a quick uh, praise report. I uh, went to an um, incubator breakfast meeting, like a bootstrappers meeting for uh, Vistum. That's a, um, it's like a VC fund here in Detroit. Uh, met a lady from New York who had come to Detroit looking to invest in properties because she heard the city finally came out of the bankruptcy, which I think is awesome. People from around the country flying into Detroit, you know, looking to help the country rise from the ashes economically. I thought that was just cool. Huh. Um, so I drove that lady to some meetings she was going to afterwards because she's from the New York. She was going to take a taxi from downtown all the way to Dearborn. Um, so I, I like, you know, about a 18-mile drive. So I drove her because I live in Dearborn. Um, we followed up uh, via email, and she introduced me to a guy in New York who has a family office and he actually has a billionaire client. So I might interview him for my book, but I was just going to share that in terms of the, the patients, um, me being patient and being strategic, um, you know, like it, it delayed about two or three weeks before we reconnected. Um, so me just being patient and following up with her uh, really paid off because she seems to approach and, and have relationships with several, you know, people that might be good fits for, for my new venture. So, um, I just wanted to share that as a praise report and maybe as a practical way that someone listening may want to model. So if there's someone you really want to do business with, uh, just be strategic and, and be patient and seek to always counsel about how to follow up with them and, and add value to them because it might open um, a lot of other doors. And um, so that I've been learning to be patient myself, you know, even with mailing different billionaires to invite for my book. I've been getting in the last couple of weeks data about um, ways to strategically add value to someone, even a very high-powered, high-net-worth individual um, so that they're much more likely to respond to you. So, um, Awesome. Yes. Cool. Well, uh, well, David, would you, uh, would you close us in a, a prayer and wrapping up our call here, please? Sure can. Father, we just come to you and we just ask that your love would uh, penetrate our hearts in a greater way, that um, through your love within us, patience would, would be manifest and um, in a practical way in our lives. And as we um, we lead others, as we relate with others, as we work with others, um, just give us uh, your grace to be patient with them, to listen, um, to learn, and to have uh, the grace to give uh, your wisdom in the right time. And we just ask yes, each one that um, here and as that listens, Lord, that you would just cause an anointing of grace to be upon their lives and equip them, equip them with uh, patience and love in all their functions of life. And we ask mm-hmm. in your gracious name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, David, for uh, your great input tonight. And um, thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, we'll have another call uh, next Tuesday. And again, uh, just in closing, remember that... Um, the most, the way you get the most benefit from listening to these calls is actually do the exercise at the end of page two. Under the reflect and respond, it says, are you a procrastinator? In which environment is it harder to practice your patience? Does it bother you and nothing happens? Um, and then it talks about, you know, rate yourself in those areas of what benefit you get from raising your rating. And then write down, I think this is the most important part, what specific action, uh, it says can you, I actually say will you put into practice to test the benefits of this principle. I encourage you, write those things out. Write down one specific action you plan to put into practice. 
and actually do it over the next week and just see how your results change. And, um, you know, that way I think it will reinforce continuing to act in, uh, in that manner. So make sure you fill out that, that um, thing at the bottom there, at the bottom of page two. And speaking of that, I'm going to go do it right now myself. We should, David, hold me accountable on that next week. All right, Dave. All right, well, hey, have a great week, brother, and thank you, everyone, for, uh, for listening in. God bless you, too. Bye for now. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.